the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. This winter is loaded with sports, and there's no better place to get the best sports storytelling, the best analysis, and general coverage across all the sports, major and minor, than The Athletic. And the piece I'm reading right now, and I think any of you nerds out there should as well, Mike Sando, the quarterback tiers man, has switched gears just a little bit. And he's got GM tiers, NFL GM tiers. They're awesome. It's really neat to see. So more experienced GMs, right? The Belichicks, the Schneiders, the Mickey Loomises in one category, right? So it's how many, he, he tiers it based on how many drafts a GM have, has had. And then he ranks you by winning percentage and kind of talks a little bit about how each have had their playoff success or not. And therefore, but the, being able to see kind of the newer GMs in, in, a, in a special light versus maybe the ones that are a little bit either more experienced or maybe on their way out, super interesting. Uh, and, you know, I, I, it piqued my interest because we just had the, the Bills lock in their first AFC East championship, of course, in the past 25 years. Where does Brandon Bean fall in this conversation? Super interesting. He's kind of, you know, the neck under Brett Veach, Kansas City. And that's, I think, how we're all kind of looking at Josh Allen right now. So this is a, a big piece on The Athletic right now. It's one of many. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of jump around the sports today, by the way. And a lot of this has come from The Athletic's homepage. <laughs> I'm just going to be full disclosure because it's, it's got everything. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off your first year subscription. Let's start with the NFL. We're going to bring in some NHL talk quick because there is new news there. Then we've got some NBA stuff in the back end of this, but bring in Scott Allen two days away from this regular season. Rosters are finalizing. Scott's been doing a ton of work behind the scenes. We've got a ton of numbers that go with that. We're going to just kind of tease that a little bit. I got a big NBA piece coming to spottrek.com probably Tuesday morning. Rosters, off-season spending, positional spending, free agency, all that stuff. Um, we've kind of thrown everything into the bucket and spit out some pretty good numbers and some pretty good, uh, you know, bullet list items. So that's coming. Scott and I will touch on some, some of that just a little bit at the back end of this podcast. But look, I got to start here. I've been, <laughs> I feel like every six days, this is kind of like Dak Prescott last year in terms of, you know, will he, won't he, will they, won't they. But now it, it appears that Carson Wentz is sort of doing his own version of get me out of here. You know, he's not happy being a backup. Let's just start there. Um, everybody knows the dead, dead cap situation now. Everybody. I mean, it, whether you're a local news channel, whether you're ESPN, whether you're the NFL network, whether you're inside the analytics like we are, everybody knows there's $59 million to release him, 33 to 43 to cut, to trade him based on when they do it. To me, the dead cap is in a box and you can put it over here on the left. It, it, the Eagles are either going to deal with it as active cap and they're just going to keep him on the roster or they're going to trade him and deal with the dead cap. Uh, it, dead cap has become less and less of a concern for me. And especially right now, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, this is about cash. He's owed $25 million next year, 10 million of it on March 19th in a roster bonus. If he doesn't want to be the backup, and I don't blame him, although he he's deservedly the backup right now. Then the Eagles have to do everything possible to get him out of town. Well, guess what? Him publicly saying, I don't want to be here anymore. That's that's an absolute <laughs> time bomb for a trade. It's 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 making the effort to get you out worse. 
just just quiet down. Everybody just kind of quiet down. Let's fade back into the background a little bit. Let's let me, you know, the GM, the front offices of a couple of teams that may be interested, kind of do their work behind the scenes. Don't publicly try to trade yourself. Don't do it. It, it, it destroys the value. It destroys. They can't release you. They will not release you. So if they can't trade you, you're going to be sitting on there on that team as a QB two and competing for your job every week. So if, if you're Carson Wentz, zip it up. Just let, let this thing play out. All right. Let it play out. We don't even know if Jalen Hurts is good. First of all, let's let that play out. But if you want out, you got to just let this thing ride right now. Everybody knows your contract situation. I will say it again. And, and I spent all morning on Twitter doing it, but I'm happy to speak to it because it's messy. And look, me, me jumping on there and saying, hey, you know, this is a tradable contract. It's only two for 34 or two for 44 based on when they trade him with that roster bonus. I'm only looking at it from the Colts or the 49, whoever's going to take him, the, the Steelers. That's not bad. If you're giving up a third or a fourth round pick to get that contract in two for 37 where 30 is fully guaranteed, that's a nice little take a chance quarterback contract. It is, especially for a guy with the upside that he has. And I know it's been a bad 18 months here, but it's doable. Of course, the problem lies with the dead cap. I'm not naive to that. I, <laughs> I, 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 I read my kids' bedtime stories about dead cap. I mean, that's how involved I am with that side of the NFL money, all right? I know. It's ugly. And, you know, they probably have to eat the roster bonus, which means $43 million of dead cap just to trade them. And, and those of you responding to me or, or responding to beat reporters out there saying, well, he should be a good soldier and restructure his contract to make it better. It doesn't work that way. If we're talking about a trade, the dead cap that exists has already been paid. It's a signing bonus, an option bonus, a restructure bonus. It's done. So he can't say, you know, well, I'll restructure myself a little bit and make it easier on the, on the Eagles to get me out of here. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. The only thing he could do is void guarantees, which is moronic. Nobody's doing that. Nobody. Nick Foles didn't do it. I mean, nobody's doing that. Todd Gurley didn't do it, and he had a degenerative knee issue. He had, you know, the Rams had cause to get rid of him, and he didn't restructure. He accepted that $7 million roster bonus just a couple of weeks ago, really. Carson Wentz is not giving up cash for a trade. It's not happening because, honestly, that, like I mentioned, that contract that's coming to the new team, it's pretty decent. It's pretty tolerable. Even if he's not great, it's tolerable. So it's as easy as this. Do the Eagles want to pay the roster bonus and then trade him after June 1st to take that 43 million dead cap and spread it over two years? Possibly. Or do they want to take the 33 million all this all next year, which is like $800,000 saved against their cap. It's basically a chalk cap move, but they, 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 they wouldn't have to pay $25 million of cash that would transfer to the new team. So it's two years, $47 million, right? 40 million, which is guaranteed to that new team. Still decent, still 20, you know, 24 million a year, which is middle of the road money for a quarterback right now. I think that's possible. So it's, do we trade him before the roster bonus? Do we trade him after the roster bonus? Are we taking the dead cap on all at once? Or are we spreading it over two years? Or is he just going to stay in our team? You know, and we can restructure that roster bonus, turn 10, 10 million of cap into 2.5 million over the next four years in terms of the cap, not the cash. 
you know, if that's the case, then you can lower his cap number by 7 million and deal with the fact that you got a 20, 26 million dollar cap hit on a on a backup quarterback that, you know, will be available if if the hurt situation doesn't work out. Here's why I, I say if they can get a fourth or a third for him, they're going to do it. Because the dead cap shouldn't scare them either. They have this ridiculously cheap quarterback right now in Jalen Hurts. And instead of saying, well, you know, that means they can keep him, fine, they can keep him. But it also means you can you can account for your mistakes right now. You can suck it up and say, all right, this guy's not working out for us. He needs a change of scenery. We need a change of scenery on him. Jalen Hurts is dirt cheap. So rather than wait until after next year when Hurts gets a little bit more expensive, when you lose another year of his rookie contract, let's just say, all right, we're going to take this plunge right now from a dead cap perspective and try to rebuild on the fly starting in 2022 when that's off of our off our table you know when Alshon Jeffrey's off of our table when a couple of other contracts that are going to have to go next year in other words there's a lot of dead cap that's probably coming anyway for Philadelphia because of other mistakes like Alshon Jeffrey was as big of a mistake as Carson Wentz right now i understand it's way bigger money for Carson but you know from a roster management standpoint that was a miss too huge miss yes he helped get them to the super bowl i understand sorry carson okay but nothing since for either so they've got other situations to figure out and it's all going to add up i would highly recommend and look at I'm, I'm i mentioned the bills team in the open the bills did this the bills took a gigantic plunge in terms of dead cap sammy Watkins gone marcel darius gone four or five other big names they had 70 upwards of 70 million of dead cap to start the year and they added to that with in-season trades and releases so it got really ugly there three years ago for the bills in terms of their dead cap situation and they were bad and look where they are now now they've knocked the patriots off their pedestal they've won the division their quarterback which they believed in is now firmly in place and oh, oh by the way ready for his next big payday which we'll get to eventually and I've, I've tweeted those numbers out as well they got to they got to cut the cut bait with a lot of, of their financial situations right now in Philadelphia and unless you want to rip it all the way down and become a team that you know a Jaguars team that traded seven players released five more and and it's literally going to the bottom so that they can build back up maybe even with Trevor Lawrence that's one avenue I don't think that's Philadelphia's avenue especially if Doug Peterson stays now if Doug Peterson is fired Maybe that's the avenue, but if he stays, he is not going to be here for a rebuild. He's here for a whatever we have to do to maintain our division prowess. We're going to do it, and if that means getting a third round pick for Carson Wentz, give me it. You know, I'll go get myself another wide receiver, and uh, and move forward from there. Zach Ertz probably gone. Carson Wentz probably gone. Elshon Jeffrey probably gone. So th- you're you're taking a major piece out of or you know, chunk out of the offense to replace it with younger, cheaper, better right now, just flat out better. So I think it's going to be a rebuild on the fly. That absolutely should come with a Carson Wentz trade. You absolutely should take, you know, whatever you have to do. If if the Colts are going to play hardball and say, hey, we're not paying that roster bonus. Okay, you're paying that roster bonus. Fine, restructure it. Okay, restructure it. Push seven and a half million of that dead cap, dead cap into 2022 take your lumps then or trade him March 17th, trade him the second the league year opens, send him to the Colts, the Steelers, the, the 49ers, the Lions, whoever it's going to be. Get yourself a mid round pick, take your dead cap all next year. I realize, 
you know, the cap is going to be certainly not going up next year. But like I said, the successful stories we've seen of going from Z to, to at least G, right? Or maybe even D with a couple of teams. I mean, the 49ers went from dead bottom to Super Bowl. That happened. The Bills are trending in that direction. So, and they didn't do it by <laughs> by spreading out their their issues over a couple of seasons. They didn't. Now, the 49ers specifically got, got caught a year into it because of the Garoppolo injury. So there was a bit of a, a setback for them. But financially speaking, they were ready to go two years ago. And it ended up working out last year for them. Buffalo is ready. This was their three-year plan. They are ready to win right now. And they are financially healthy right now. Even if, when Josh Allen's $160 million extension comes in, whatever that's going to be. But they're ready for that too. So Philadelphia needs to be able to do this thing quickly because that's the kind of franchise they are. And they're, they're a, a good enough team to compete in their division right now. And they should be next year, even if they take on $60 million of dead cap, which is what teams like the Rams are doing. I mentioned the Bills. You know, the Dolphins are doing this and successfully winning with their rookie quarterback. You can do this with Jalen Hurts. You can do it. You can, and you can do You can take on a big chunk of dead cap right now. This isn't 2000. This isn't 2010. Okay. A lot of these people that are out there speaking to, you can't have a lot of dead cap. Why would you do this to yourself with Carson Wentz? I, I think that's an antiquated take truly. And look, I'm, I'm all for being as financially healthy as you can be at all times, but there are certain points where you just have to just rip the, rip the stick in half and hope that whatever you have remaining on the, on the good side, on the active roster, is enough to hold you up in your division. I think Philadelphia can do this. I think they can rip off Ertz, Wentz, Jeffrey, maybe even more, maybe even defensive players, and still be competitive, especially if they hit on a few draft picks. Uh, obviously, that would be important, but it's got to happen. If, if somebody's there offering, it's got to happen. And if they're not offering, he's going to be on this roster. It's that simple. We don't need to overthink it. Don't overthink the dead cap. Don't overthink the current cap. Like I said, they restructure that roster bonus, move some of the cap down the line a little bit. That's good business for 2021. But enough said there. Feel free to reach out at SpotTrack. I'm happy to answer the questions. It's a complicated situation because of when that roster bonus is paid, you know, the June 1st situation, the the dead cap differences between releasing him versus trading him. Just know releasing is not going to happen. Not going to happen. Um, so we're talking about a trader, a trader stay, and he clearly wants to stay or wants to be traded at this point. But if that's the case, he needs to zip it because he, every time he speaks or his agent speaks publicly, he is hurting the Eagles opportunity to do that. Okay. Quickly to move on here to the NHL, which is, boy, I, I thought there was going to be a moment there where we were not going to get this thing done, but it does appear that I believe they're talking right now. It's Sunday. It's about Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern. I'm currently watching Ryan Tannehill destroy all, all of my fantasy dreams, but um, the NHL is basically behind closed doors right now voting essentially on this proposal, which sounds good. It's 56 games. It's broken up into four regions essentially in terms of where the schedule is going to be. And kind of the only thing sitting out there, the low hanging fruit sitting out there is Canada situation. Can they play in Canada or not? And if not, it sounds like all of Canada is coming to the United States to play, which that's not for me to comment on, but it is what it is, I guess. So here's what we have in terms of the proposal. Like I said, 56 games, 
here's the difference between what we saw with the NBA and certainly with Major League Baseball and, and why it took Major League Baseball so long to even get themselves back on the field. They are not going to prorate these salaries. So they're going to play 56 games and they're going to defer 10% of that forward and they're going to have to pay 20% of it into escrow. So basically like, you know, you get 70% of your salary and the rest of it goes into an IRA. That's kind of essentially what they're saying here. But full salaries on a 56 game season. So the NHLPA did a good job there of, of saying, you know, we're, we're fairly compensated, whether it's 56 unique games or if it's 82 games. So good on that situation for sure. So the salary cap remains the same, 81.5 million. So anything on Track you see right now is going to exist. It's going to be, you know, the cap figures will say the same in terms of the team, the league and the players. Obviously there'll be some cash differences and I'll go, I'll, I'll update that soon with those deferrals and those escrow payments. But the, uh, the, the nuts and bolts of the finances are going to stay the same. Here's the, here's the, uh, the real big difference. And I think they did adopt this from baseball, which was successful. There's going to be between a four to six man taxi squad. So what does that mean? So we don't even know what the HL season is going to look like the minor league system. It sounds like there will be some sort of like two month, maybe 10 week season official season for the minor league hockey system. Um, but this taxi squad is going to be separate from that. It's going to be similar to how baseball had it, where you had basically a traveling. These players are going to travel with the team as if they're a part of the team and they're going to be able to play immediately as needed. So if somebody has to get you know quarantined, one of these players can be injected immediately. Now they will be subject to waivers as they go up and down if they're qualified in terms of their experience. So it's going to work similar to a, a minor league call up or a, a minor league send down. So, you know, if you, if you've got options, if you can go back up and down easily, I would imagine most teams will opt for those kind of players, but you're going to have to, you're going to see some veterans sitting on the track taxi squad, just like we've seen with the practice squad in football. I mean, there's been plenty of big time names that have kind of faded out of the league a little bit, but who, who are sitting on practice squads right now and being called up every now and then to either fill in the blanks for injuries or COVID or whatever. It's been successful for all of these leagues. And I think it's good that the NHL is, is doing the same here. So four to six player taxi squad that will travel with the teams. Um, they will be, they will have NHL benefits, you, you know, essentially they're going to look and feel like they're a part of the team. They're just not going to be dressed and less called upon. So that's a good deal. I like that a lot outside of that. It's going to be, they're going to go. I mean, we don't really know if they're going to bubble or if they're going to kind of travel because these, look, these divisions are very regionalized. You know, your first one is Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, New York, New York, Philly, Pittsburgh, and DC. There's about a three hour travel gap. There is all that is in terms of, of airplanes. They're going to test every other day. That's another note they made in this proposal. So, you know, we're going to, they're going to try to make this thing as, NFL like as possible, but you're not going to see the West Coast stuff. I imagine the schedule is going to all be within your alignment. So it's good. I think it's got a chance. And look, their bubble was successful in terms of the postseason. So clearly they have a good structure in place. They have a good relationship between safety and play right now. I'm happy it's back. Uh, you know, I'm happy that the players are getting full salaries, even if they have to push some of it down the line a little bit. I think this is a kind of a win-win situation for the whole league. 
Um, I'm a little concerned about the Canadian teams because the, the Canadian and United States situation has not been good, unfortunately. And hopefully that gets worked out in due time. So the last thing here is dates. Training camps are going to start December 31st if you didn't make the bubble last year. So they're going to give those teams a couple of extra days to get going. It'll be January 3rd for, the te- for teams that were in that bubble last year. So January 3rd on, it'll be straight training, no preseason. And uh, January 13th, opening night. So it's going to be quick and dirty like the NBA. And hopefully all of that works out. You know, hopefully the injuries don't pile up. It's a risky run for sure, but they're back. It sounds like they're going to vote on that literally as we speak. And I would imagine that would go through maybe some modifications to what I just said, but I wouldn't think so. This seems like it's a good, pretty good concrete plan. And uh, the deferrals versus the deferrals instead of the prorated salaries make a lot of sense to me because let's just keep this thing going and push down the line. And I hope that the flat cap process is something the NFL can adopt in a couple of months as well, because I do think staying chalk versus going down, it has a big upside. It's got a lot of upside. You want to kind of give everybody the best chance to succeed. And if you've got Carson Wentz, for instance, on a $36 million cap hit, and your salary league salary cap drops to 180. Well, that's putting Philadelphia way behind the eight ball in a situation that they really didn't foresee coming at the time of the contract. So I like that move by the NHL as well. And they're, you know, as financially troubled as any of these leagues, if not the most of the big four. So good for them. I, I think this is this makes a lot of sense. Hopefully the schedule reflects health and safety first and, you know, competitive balance second. That's obviously the most important part of this for the next couple of months, but good to see that they're getting back into things. And hopefully that all comes to fruition now in really just three weeks. So in three weeks we could have live regular season hockey. Okay. It's time for a little bit of basketball. Obviously it's that time of year. Christmas week is always the big basketball week. And this year specifically, it's going to be the big opening week for basketball. Rudy Gobert, somehow got more money. The Warriors tried a couple of things. I'm going to have Scott explain that and some offseason and positional spending stuff as well. Let's bring in Scott and talk basketball. But first, today's Spot Trek podcast episode is presented by the online betting guide. Do you consider yourself an NFL expert? Knowledgeable in stats, trends, plays, and injuries. Prove your skills against other knowledgeable football fans in OLBG.com's NFL Pick'em Contest. Enter for free and share your NFL picks to win cash prizes. 53 prizes are given away every month, totaling $780 of cash. OLBG.com is a sports betting community where expert handicappers share their predictions to compete for top place in the leaderboard and help others make informed betting decisions. Show them what you got. Visit OLBG.com. That's the online betting guide. OLBG.com. Joined on the OLBG hotline by Scott Allen. Scott, happy holidays. We're a few days away here. We are closer, though, to the NBA regular season. We're going to be drafting our basketball fantasy rosters probably in the next couple of hours. I guess let's start right there. Uh, So the goal here, by the way, you know, we're, it's Christmas season, it's holiday season. I'm going to give you 12 questions surrounding the NBA, whether that's okay. numbers related, whether that's fantasy related, whether that's gambling related. Uh, I'll try to mix it up for you a little bit. Question number one, who is the most 
watchable player this year in the NBA? Oh, there's going to be a handful of those. I think the most watchable based on what has gone on in preseason here is going to be Kevin Durant because he's looking like he hasn't skipped a beat after coming off that injury. I can, I agree with that. I think Brooklyn as a whole is probably going to be the most. Here's question number two. I'll get two quick ones out of the way. You and I have done the uh, last show. We did the odds, the the win totals, projected win totals. Um, you know, we we're talking a lot of Harden. Is the East better than the West right now? Sorry, deeper. Maybe deeper is a better word in terms of teams. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and when did that switch happen? Did that happen because of offseason? Because I, honestly, I feel as though it is. When I look at the win totals, it's Milwaukee, it's Boston, it's Miami, it's Philadelphia, it's it's Eastern teams. Now, you know, you could pull back and say that's it's a regular season thing. <laughs> and when it comes down to, to pay time and in the postseason, it's always going to the pendulum is going to shift back to the West. But from a, a seasonal standpoint, I do think maybe the East is deeper. Is that correct? Yeah, I think the East is deeper. We talk about the West and being such a slug fest that it's going to be. And, you know, there's going to be only so many playoff spots. And if you went down the list right now, you'd probably easily come up with uh, seven, maybe eight teams that are probably going to get into the playoffs. And then you've got those few on the fringe, whereas the East, you could probably um, have more of a fringe than than the West. But I think that the the pendulum is swinging back to where the East and the West are a little bit more balanced than they have been in the past. And I think that's because of what's happened in the off season. You know, we've, we've seen some of these trades where players or even the free agents where players have sort of, you know, gone to the East and the West sort of has been a, a reshuffle where you've had like Chris Paul and Ubre and some of those in, in Adams, they've all stayed in the West. They just have shifted. But we saw players like Drew Holiday uh, go to the East um, and some others that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. But I think the pendulum has swung back to where the East is starting to um, sort of trickle back towards a, a more balanced East versus West. It's definitely close. As, you know, I mean, it's, it it's definitely not a. A, a one conference league anymore. There's no, and if Harden comes East, which I think you might, um, and I guess let's go right there. Let's, let's give the people what they want. Let's talk Houston. Uh, I'm going to bury the lead on this question and give you the answer. And then you can kind of uh, reflect on it. The, the Rockets have the highest projected starting five again, still, and it's not even close. It's $126 million of cap, which is, more than the league threshold as it is. It's 87 million more than the Knicks. 87 million. The, the Knicks are projected to start a $39 million cap lineup. Yeah. So they are who they are. There's no question about that. Um, so I guess here's my question for you because new GM, new coach, same owner, a lot of internal moves though, right? I mean, Houston kind of stayed somewhat to be who they are. And, and that's kind of the question I'm asking here. Do they just like who they are? I mean, they've been to the Eastern, the Western finals and, and second round, and it's been nine straight years of success. But Russell Westbrook for John Wall is not only a 
similar basketball trade, but it's an almost identical financial trade. They're, they're basically the exact same team from a business standpoint as they were last year. So are they happy with that? Like, let's take Harden and his public outcries completely out of this conversation. Let's say Harden's there because he's, he's there. I mean, we're two days away. He's going to play for the Rockets in two days. It, do you think they like who they are and they just want to see this thing ride out? I don't necessarily know if they like who they are, but I, they are going to ride it out and see who they are and see how things are going to function for at least the first month or so. Um, and like we talked about last week, trade deadline is somewhere towards the end of March. So the, the, the time frame that teams have before the, t- the trade deadline is less than what it would have been in a normal sense. I mean, we got to think. Usually the, the season starts in the end of October and you've got until, you know, mid-February to to figure out what you want to do at a trade deadline. That's not the case this season. Uh, we're starting in two days and then they have till March 25th and it's it's, it's a less time to see what chemistry they have. So um, let, let me let me let me drop here on this. The reason I guess I asked that question, Scott, is. They didn't have to do it. Now, maybe they did. Maybe that was the only offer out there. And the only thing they could do was Russell Westbrook for John Wall and a pick. But I think in a normal instance, many teams would have tried to get three players for Russell Westbrook instead of one almost identical player. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's why I maybe think, hey, we don't really need to change too much, too, too much up. We just got to replace this one guy who wants that wants to get out of here. And if this guy productively looks like that and, and, his salary matches the move. Let's just give it a shot and see if we can continue on where we were. Doesn't it kind of feel like that's what they've done here versus we got to change what we, what we've been to try to become a a more championship contender team. I I just feel like we're we're pretty darn good. Let's make this one move. See what happens. I, I kind of love it. I I, I think because they got the first round pick to go with it, it's they're basically the same team with an extra first round pick. Yeah, and they brought in Christian Wood, and you're yeah. right. From a positional standpoint, they're, they didn't target or, or really go out and get any bigs, uh-uh. which they haven't done in the past. The only big that they really, really have is uh, DeMarcus Cousins, who was on an, you know, an Exhibit 10, and he was going to uh, – a summer contract, and now it's going to count towards the cap, right. and it's non-guaranteed, and that's who they're running with. And you know he has had his injury stints, and – uh, they're probably just going to go with that the, the 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 fast small ball that they've been doing and um, another good like point. Said, they didn't change that either. No, they didn't. And so I, I think they're going to ride and see how things are going to go. And if they're if they come out of the gate and things are just uh, atrocious and things just aren't working, it may be press the emergency eject button and. Um, see what they can get for Harden. And, and right. If this, if this is a major step back, they'll know maybe not yes. before the deadline, but they'll know before next year. And I got to tell you, the more this kind of plays out and you know, this, there could be some level of the media doing dirty work here, but I kind of hope Harden has to stay for the whole year. I, I just, I, do too. I, I think, I think not all situations should be granted. And if the Rockets are pretty good with John Wall and James Harden, regardless of how he feels, I think he should have to honor his current contract, you know, because it's not, yeah, I do. <laughs> it's not like he's expiring. <laughs> I mean, he's got plenty of money and years left on that thing. I, uh, yeah, he does. 
I just think maybe the league needs an instance of a team winning one of these battles right now. That's all. You know, we're, we're yeah, a, the, a new Houston regime basically says, hey, man, we'll do what's right by us. And if that also means doing right by you, we'll make it happen. But for now, we want to play some good basketball and win some games. And I think that's probably the right move for both of these guys, both of these sides right now. But I don't know. It's 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 weird. Generally speaking, the players have won out here. Yeah, I, I, the last thing I'll say is, you know, the, the teams that are on Harden's quote unquote request list are all yeah. top gunning teams anyway. So if you moved him, you're just going to, you know, you're going to water down the Rockets depending on what you would get back for them. And you're you're making those super teams where, you know, some of those other teams that are trying to get better aren't necessarily you don't have that parity. So. I hope it, he at least stays for this year, and then if they got to blow it up, then they blow it up, and we'll we'll see where uh, the 2021 season goes from there. All right, question number four. Ten months ago, Rudy Gobert was wiping his saliva on a microphone at a press conference. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what happened to Rudy Gobert today. Yeah, he just signed a five-year, $205 million extension with Utah. So moving forward, it is him and Donovan Mitchell for the Jazz. And obviously, like we've talked about down with Giannis last week, I mean, things can happen. Yeah, but we thought he was going to get traded now. This was a guy we thought was going to move, like right now move. And now this can't happen until December of 2021. Yeah. So and, and, And I like what Keith, Keith made a great point. The foreign players, they like to be where they are. Um so yeah, he he's did. a foreign player and he, he, he similar instance with Giannis. Um, so he, he may really like it there. And, you know, again, Utah down the line could trade him if they want to, but he got paid and now Utah is going to have him and Donovan Mitchell for the foreseeable future. And, um, the, based <laughs> on the reports that came out, he's got a player option in that fifth year. So, but he didn't get a supermax, which is what he wanted. But right, he did not. Is that the team winning right now? Is that modern basketball leverage? Like we're not going to pay you two twenty eight. We're going to pay you two oh five. That's crazy. <laughs> like these numbers are bonkers. Rudy Gobert is a nice player. He's an above average player, and at his position, which has been he- heavily devalued, he's one of the best. But is. this is like Christian McCaffrey getting big money, right? No, 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 no. I'm wrong. This is like. I guess Delvin Cook. I guess this is like the third best player in his position getting paid top dollar. Yeah, they're they're paying him for I mean, he was back to back defensive player of the year in 17 and 18. So he, you know, he's that shut down defensive presence. He's got a specific role like a running back. Yeah, I get that. Like a running back. But this is a victim of max contracts. It is because everybody knows where that top number is and you don't have to do market values and projections to figure out where somebody belongs. You just start at the very top. And if, and if it's clear that that person's not worth that, then you just come down 5% and that's where he lands. Like it's, it's too easy to make so much money in the NBA right now. And I know Keith disagreed with me last week, but there has to be a breaking point here has to be. Oh, I, Rudy Gobert and Paul George are heavily overpaid right now, Scott. Heavily overpaid. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, at the end of that contract, Rudy, depending on how things are structured, there's a couple ways the the salaries could come out. Right now, I have them estimated at, you know, him starting at 35-3 and it goes up to 46.6. I mean, we're talking if he opts into that player option, he's going to be making somewhere north of $45 million in 2025 for uh, a 33-year-old player who – is you know is he going to be that defensive stud five years from now maybe maybe not but you're right these salaries are getting so high and yes the cap they've at least you know smoothed the increases over the next few years to help that this these salaries are going to be into the next cba um but we're we're talking we're going to have a plenty of contract salaries that are going to be north of 45 million into 50 million and you know the only way around this is is going to be trades that we like we've been seeing this off season trades for these max values for max values and it's just going to be shuffling because there's going to be no way to get out of them yeah i think there's no question on that um look i'm not complaining i'm happy for the guy i mean that is that's a boatload of money to do something you do well. It's just he's not a five-tool guy. And when five right. w- when you know two-tool guys are making 200 million in, in your league, something's either going really well or something might be broken. I'm hoping it's the, the former and not the latter, but I'm skeptical at this point. All right, here we go. Moving on. There are I'm counting while we talk. 1 2 3 4 5 6 7. I have 8 teams starting the season over the luxury tax threshold and there's one or two or three or four more right there like a couple moves away from being right there we mentioned this last week how there's the there's the you get a bit of a discount this year you know as the as the nba loses money so does the tax bill but this is not going to stay this way right Although, are, you, are your Utah numbers reflecting? No, they, they wouldn't reflect Gobert because that's next year, right? Next year. Same with Mitchell. So, even more reason for them to get under this year. So, there aren't repeaters next year. My point is, yeah, there's going to be moves made here for Indiana, Utah, probably Houston, yep. probably, yep. Uh, well, I can't say anybody else. I think the Lakers are paying. I think the Rockets or the, the Bucks are paying. And... and Let's stop right there because that's, I guess, the better question to pull out of this. Yes, eight teams are, are in tax hell, but Milwaukee's not Philly, L.A., Houston, Brooklyn, Golden State. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a much, much smaller market with a much, much smaller ownership. How the hell do they, are they going to afford to be repeaters and maybe three-time repeaters? Because th- this isn't even the year that, that Giannis kicks in. This is still the discount year for Giannis. Yes. And, and Drew Holiday has a player option next year that they really can't do anything about. I mean, it's, it is what it is if he wants it. Now, he can be a good soldier and opt out of that sucker and maybe drop a couple million for them. But it's looking pretty good like they're going to be repeaters over the next two seasons. And... I don't know how that team sustains it. They're just, they're swinging with the big boys right now and it's going to kill them from a, from a cash standpoint, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. You, you make a great point. I mean, right now they're estimated to have to pay around eight net 8.8 million in tax if you know, the end of the season hits. Scott, do you have I, the I, discounts sure built they, in or you don't know what that is until the revenue comes in, right? Yeah. We won't know until the, the revenue at the end of the season, okay. if it does drop, I mean, if it doesn't drop and somehow then whatever they do, the, the, the revenue goes up and they're paying what's there. Um, so they only get a discount if it goes down. Yeah. Um, but I, Utah, Indiana, they're small markets. They are not going to want to pay tax if they, I got to imagine Indiana's got one or two players to move. I mean, I think Oladipo or Turner, maybe Ann Turner move when they realize that they're out of East contention. I mean, they're, they're on the outside looking in with a lot of these teams now. So I do think they're, they're, they, they become real big contenders at the trade deadline. I mean, the, the, the big boys will become looking for them, so they should be able to get out of this. They're pretty much right up against that tax threshold anyway. So I'm not super worried about them, but I don't think, I don't think Milwaukee can get themselves under unless they make a significant move. I mean, that's not a, I mean, 5 million plus right now over that's, that's a lot to handle. Yeah, they, they would have to make some significant moves. So they may take the hit this year and then next year, um, you know, just deal with it because the tax repeater is three of the last four years okay. to, where you get hit with the repeater itself. So if they if they pay some tax this year, they, they may be fine next year. Right now, they're projected to be over for next year um, based on the roster that they have right now. And that's including Drew Holiday's player option and some of the other player options that they already have on there um, as well. But um I think this year they're 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 just probably going to go status quo. See where they oh they get, have to if they can win the they've, they've done so much there. work to get here. They have to just let this thing ride out this year, right? Yeah, they do. You you just have to see where things go yeah. and, and bite the bullet with the tax. And um, but you you're right. Teams like the Rockets, you know, let's go talk about them real quick. I know we've already spent enough time on them, but they are a team that has done phenomenal work with making trade deadline acquisitions and relinquishing players to other teams so that they can just get under the tax so they don't have to pay that tax. Uh, but that's under the old regime with Morey and all the you know yeah. genius that he is to do what he does. Houston this year, they may not care. They may want to pay it, but again, they may do some finagling and trading and do what they can to get down below i mean they'd have to shed about 5.2 million dollars to um get down below that tax so they're they're the team to watch as far as shedding outside of the pacers and the jazz everyone else they're probably just going to bite the bullet pay the tax and and be what they are question number six the speaking of daryl morey now in his new digs in philadelphia he made a couple of big trades and certainly drafted uh all with the intent of adding shooters to that roster. I mean, that was clearly the goal. We need more three-point shooters, more outside shooting to complement what we have in Simmons and Embiid right now. How much cap did they did they did they give up? Did they use in order to acquire the players they acquired, Scott? It's a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> they awesome. saved almost ten million dollars in cap, Scott. Daryl Daryl okay. Morey added three shooters. One of them named Curry, by the way, and saved almost $10 million in cap space this year by oh, doing wow. it. 
Um, he went younger in terms of the draft picks. He went cheaper in terms of Seth Curry for Josh Richardson. It's uh, it's it's the brain of Daryl Morey at work right away. I mean, he's almost like he it was is. figuring this stuff on the plane ride to Philly because <laughs> he, he sat down. He put his name, name, name plate down on his office desk and said, uh, all right, here's move number one. We're bringing in Doc Rivers son-in-law <laughs> and, and he's going to be, you know, $15 million cheaper than Josh Richardson, who we don't really need that that style of play anyway on this roster. So he fixed some things quickly, saved some cap space. Uh, look, they, they spent some dough you know, in terms of what they're going to have to spend down the road. But this is one of the cheapest off-season spenders in all of basketball. I'm quickly looking. Let me digress. This is the cheapest team. Nobody spent less than the Philadelphia 76ers this off-season. 13.5 million total. They're the lowest. So he made, he made some noise and he did so without having to spend cash. That's Daryl Morey right there. That's what he's all about. This is when he doesn't have players in his ear telling him what to do to be quite frank about it and yeah. uh, good for him setting the tone there early. I think he'll do the same with Doc Rivers. They should be able to forge a decent relationship because I think they both understand the mix of player empowerment versus how to actually run business. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the line you have to draw right now. And it's something by the way that the Lakers don't aren't getting enough credit for because we know how much LeBron likes to take control of things and good for him. He's earned the right but Frank Vogel being able to listen to it, process it, and then do something about it in a way that makes LeBron respect him, that was an underrated 2019-2020 story. Frank, I think LeBron finally found the right coach, smart enough to, to earn his respect, patient enough to listen, just the, and that's what Philadelphia needs here. Not that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are, are trying to run their team, but they're not, they shouldn't have to is my point because of what doc rivers and, and Daryl Morey should be bringing Agreed. to the table here. So like I said, not a lot of cash spent actually cap saved in acquiring maybe a better fit for the roster. Brilliant moves out of Philadelphia. I look forward to seeing that team. I know that's your Eastern conference pick as of last mm-hmm. week. So yeah. they, uh, they hit the nail on the head in terms of, of business in the NBA right now. We'll see how, how it works out on the court though. Okay. Moving on quickly. I'm going to throw you a, a complete curveball here. You've, you've referenced a few times that the CBA is expiring in a couple of years here and max contracts and high school players coming and and all them, you know, all these things, exceptions galore, right? Trade matching in terms of salary, blah, 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 hard cap, whatever it is. What is the one thing you want addressed in the next iteration of the CBA? Well, max salaries for sure, whether they remove them or tweak them in some manner. So you want to um, give yourself more work. You want to be able to do your own projections and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, not necessarily. No, what I mean is, you know, because these salaries are getting so high, do they build in some sort of, and we've talked about this in other sports, but some sort of, you know, legacy uh, aspect where, if you're paying these max salaries, maybe maybe they don't count or they count for a fraction of what they're worth or um, if, if, if you have a max salary, maybe there's a one roster spot that there is no max for. So if 
a la you want Steph Curry to be your, you know, Golden State Warrior for life and you think you owe him, uh, you know, $60 million for what he's brought into the franchise and the league, then they can pay him at 60, but it wouldn't count. Something something of that nature because we've we've had these salaries that are so high and because they're getting so high, there's going to ha- like you've mentioned before, is there a breaking point? And the breaking point may be that they have to build in some sort of, um, you know, lack of a better word, a legacy contract or salary or, or some aspect of that. That would be number one that I would change. Number two, from a transactional standpoint, you know, right now I'm having to deal with players that are being signed and waived on the, you know, immediate minute after they've been signed because they want these rights to be translated to the team so that they can sign them to their G league. I would like there to be some sort of, um, uh, better system in place so that they don't necessarily have to sign a player and then wave a player immediately after to have those, uh, players added to those G league rosters, you know, just something more, uh, more transparent, more fluent than, you know, sign and wave, sign and wave. I mean, literally in the the last two days here, we've had players waived. Then they immediately sign and wave a player, multiple players, just to get four or five guys onto their G League roster and have those rights. So those would be my two. Let me cut. That's good stuff. Let me cut in on that because I think that's similar to this, this Jeremy Lin conversation, right? Did you read through that? Yeah. Okay, so expl- yeah. explain what happened with the Warriors here and Jeremy Lin, because I think it's kind of going right down that rabbit hole. Yeah, so they were going to sign Jeremy Lin to an Exhibit 10 contract, which would, and then waive him so that they could have the rights to him to play on the Warriors G League team. Well, it just happened to be that the letter of uh, letter of intent from FIBA did not get set to the Warriors in time for this to happen. So the transaction that was supposedly supposed to happen didn't happen. because Do they not have email or, I mean, is this like the Denver Broncos situation all over again? It, it, It sounds like it. Now, why this is important is the reason that the Warriors wanted to have signed him yesterday and then been able to wave him right away was because Yesterday was the deadline to waive a player without any roster cap uh, hitting based on prorated days into the season because it would have been a a summer Exhibit 10 contract. Now, if he signs with them for even a day and then gets waived, there's a 48-hour waiver period, which would roll over into Mm – December 22nd, which means he would be technically on the roster for a day or two, depending on whenever they would sign him. And they would incur a cap hit, which would incur extra luxury tax. Would it mean guaranteed to or not? For the one day. That's yeah. it. One or two days, depending on when he signs. Yeah. So can Based I, on the so, hours. all right. Can I roll back then our conversation a little bit? And that's interesting, but it, it actually brings up my, my next point. I think the one thing I, I, this is going to sound really bad because of what I do for a living and, and, and what I say a lot on Twitter with, in terms of football, I actually think you should have to earn your guarantees in the NBA. I think it, I think for instance, so let me rephrase that. It's guaranteed for the one day. It's not guaranteed. For the I, I know, season. but 
That's okay. but generally speaking, veteran contracts fully guaranteed in the NBA. It's very rare. I mean, there's maybe one or two players in every roster that have partial guarantees. Yeah. For the most right. part, you know, ninety five percent of basketball salary right now is guaranteed. If you're mm-hmm. looking at a team's payroll, which it's great for the player. It is. It's great. But to be quite frank, injuries just don't happen in the NBA like they do in other sports. They just don't. It's a fairly healthy league. And I know that there many, many think that the schedule is too long and I'm fine with that. But I think instead of having, and maybe it's instead of having the max contract situation tied to years of experience, I think guaranteed money should be tied to years of experience. So if you're if you get to the six year threshold, okay, now any contract past that is now fully guaranteed. You've earned that right. You're a veteran. Vet, all veteran contracts should be guaranteed, whether it's a million dollars or forty million dollars a year. But I, I just have a lot of trouble with walking into the NBA and you're gold, baby. You know what I mean? Like, like the money's good. The rookie contracts are pretty good. And there's a couple of club auctions and, and things like that. So the team does have some control, but I think there could be some kind of structure put into place that could minimize or at least parentally advise these players as they come into the league a little bit with their money. That doesn't necessarily say you're getting $40 million no matter what, right out of the gate. It's, it's yours. You know, you played enough street ball to earn your right to get $40 million day one of the NBA. I struggle with that. I really do. And uh, I think the league, the game, the regular season would be better off if there, if part of the incentive for growing up in the league was solidifying your ability to lock in guaranteed money. I know, I know that's how it sort of works with the NFL and we hate it and we hate seeing players get injured. But my original point kind of holds true you're just not seeing NBA players get injured at the rate that NFL players do. Of course, it's a completely different sport, but I think I just think basketball has the chance to take back some of that control right there. The salaries can stay as high as they are. Steph Curry can continue to make $55 million over the next 10 years if he wants. And if the Warriors want to go that route. So I'm not saying we, we pull back anything else, but the control and I think this is a point of contention that maybe teams and GMs and front offices and ownership can push for in this next CBA. Just a little bit, just a little bit. I'm not saying, you know, and and maybe even six years is too long. That's sort of the baseball mantra, but maybe it's, you got to get through three years or something like that. And then guarantees start to kick in a little bit, but uh, you know, the one and done process, you know, you go from one year Kentucky to 40 million with the, with the Boston Celtics. That's tough, man. That's, that's that's too much. That's like the shock is too much. I think for for these kids as adults. Yeah, but uh, all right. Let me let me push back on that. One, the NFL draft is similar situation. The 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 they get all guaranteed. You know, first rounders have guaranteed and yeah. for the four years. So so let's let's both amend this conversation right there. The the NBA draft has to double. Yeah. It's got to be four rounds minimum, right? Yeah, and that goes into our conversation <laughs> last week. If if you double the, if you double the draft, you can draft more of those players and and sign those players to go to your G League. So you're already getting their rights and put them in exactly. there. Exactly. Now in the end, 
Now, in the Jeremy Lin situation and some of these other players that have been signed and waived in the last 48 hours just to get them on their G League roster, that's a conversation that has to change yes. in the system because there's no reason that it that this situation with Jeremy Lin where you're uh, the Warriors are going to possibly, if they did this signing just to get them on the roster, would get hit with an extra tax amount. I get it. It's semantics, but... There's no reason that this should even be in question. They should just be able to, you know, sign them to the rights of the G League. And if you're part of the G League, you're part of the Warriors. And, you know, yeah, the one to one. I want the one to one, too. It's just a stupid situation that should not happen in, in today's situation with, you know, email, phone call, texting, any of that <laughs> outside of, of a letter that has to come from FIBA. But. You know, to sign these players to the G League, because like we talked about last week with Keith and we'll probably at some point do more of a deep dive with G League. But, you know, that that is a a league that the NBA wants to flourish and they want those players to be able to work their way up and get into the NBA. And that's, you know, sort of like they're, you know, an academy type situation where you want those players to get that experience. But if you're having to sign sign guys and you know, wave them. I mean, we had players that were waved on, say, the Indiana Pacers and then were immediately signed by Toronto and waved 30 seconds after that signing just so that they would get them onto that G League roster. So it's so to sort of bring it back to full circle, Scott, because I mean, part of what's coming with this next CBA, there's no question, is the ability to skip college. All that's going to mean is a bigger pool of players available to the NBA, which which means even more requirement to have that minor league system in place. You're not going to want to bring every 18-year-old kid directly onto the onto the pro roster for financial reasons, for for health reasons, for maturity reasons. We they got to have their s together in terms of a, a farm system that can handle kids they want to pull off the streets, kids uh, veterans that they want to keep down there maybe to to teach them a little bit but also to be able to pull up in the middle of the season when there's injuries. I think that is the biggest thing that's coming for the NBA is a legitimate farm system, both from top down and from bottom up. Uh, And they can afford it and they should want to afford it because of stories like what's happening with the Lakers right now. They had this kid down in the G League for what is it? THT is kid. This kid's name is. Yep. Yep. They knew he was there. They kept it under the wraps. They they knew they were going to need to go cheaper. And in a couple of instances this year on the roster with LeBron and, and AD's extensions, here he is, you know, a man-sized body ready to play ball and, and, and bang some heads around, right? I want those stories. Yeah. And, and we should be able to get those stories from 18-year-old kids coming directly out of high school. You know, I don't want to see those kids out there with James Harden. I don't. I want to see those kids evolve, you know, get the college structure a little bit inside of a G League. But the G League is too much of like a street ball system right now. It's got to become a lot more refined, a lot more professional. Yeah. I expect that to happen. And that, that comes with expanding the draft, expanding, getting one-to-one. So a player has an actual farm system and updating your transaction process so that, you know, there are one-way contracts. There are two-way contracts. There's options like baseball has, like football has to some degree where players don't have to pass through waivers where, you know, there are certain guys that are just off limits to other teams for a, for four years of their career, you know, especially these high school kids. We don't want those guys bouncing around. We want them to be in a system that they can grow in and mature in. 
That's got to, you're right. That is the most important thing over the next two years that needs to become fact instead of just sort of a, a mishmash. Yeah. And to piggyback off of that, today's young basketball players are, they're more in with AAU, the school ball, yeah. than it was 25 years ago when Garnett and Kobe Bryant and all them came out of high school. It's, we're seeing more, you know, more basketball players that play at age two all the way up until, you know, high school, college, whatever. And if they open it up to high school players, that's just a bigger pool of players that they're going to have wanting to come into the, the pros than they did 25, 20 years ago. So that that's a great point too. And to go back to your point with the guarantees, uh, there there is there is nothing that I have read in. If I'm wrong, please let me know. But I don't think there is any verbiage that says that the gar- contracts have to be guaranteed. It's just sort of a yeah. Um, you're right. It, it's just a. A, an agreement between the owners and the players association, the players that, all right, we're going to guarantee these salaries and <laughs> all right, we're going to negotiate with your agent and we'll give you a non-guaranteed in your, in the last year of the contract or, but for the most part, they sign them as guaranteed because the owners had just sort of agreed to that. There's no verbiage. So there could be owners that come out and say, all right, we're just going to, you know, non-guaranteed or build in a guaranteed structure. You know, Joel, Joel Embiid sort of has this structure in a way where injury protections, um, you're right. Injury protection where if he was injured or career ending or whatever, it vested a year or two ahead of time where they wouldn't have to guarantee everything for the remainder of the contract. Such a great point, Scott. And maybe that's what I'm asking for is a little bit more creativity, a little, a little bit of a way for the team to get out of it. That's all. That's all. I agree. I I think that's exactly right. Yeah, you're right, because in the last CBA, they took out the amnesty provision. So they don't even have an out clause for these really high, you know, these 40 million plus dollar contracts where, you know, if they had the amnesty clause, they could say, all right, we'll pay you the money, but it's not going to count against our cap. The reverse would be going back to that legacy aspect that I said where, all right, we're going to pay you and you're in your prime and we want you here forever so we're going to pay you and not have to pay the cap or, or part of it or yeah. whatever it may be. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see what negotiations come about. How much does Josh Allen get, Scott? <laughs> oh, <laughs> not NBA question. All right, let's go. Um, you know what? We, we talked about this at the beginning of the season. We said, and I remember I said, he has got to get rid of that deer in the headlights. He's He needs to progress. Uh, week by week, and he has progressed week by week. I think he's going to get um, north of 35. I know we're projecting him market value at 40, so I will not be shocked if he is at 40 after all is said and done. Look, right we now. still haven't seen him finish a playoff game without backwards laddering, though. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> we right. got to we got to slow roll a little bit. Um, yeah, he's at 40. I don't see him going backwards from there. But he's he's lost that deer in the headlights yeah. that he had in the beginning of the season. You can see the confidence, and I've act, I, I've loved that the networks, whichever one he, they've been on, they, they've made note of Jordan Palmer and the mechanics yeah. and the throwing and everything. It's all on YouTube. You can all just go see it. You can, I mean, he. It's, nobody's being shy about this. 
No. And, and but this goes to what we've been talking about for, you know, the last year or more of player development matters and the coaching that you talked about this couple of weeks ago with your open and coaching, you know, coaching and that player development matters. And we're seeing it firsthand with Josh Allen because everyone was so skeptical when they drafted him because of how raw he was. But the ceiling was really high. And we're seeing that he's putting in the effort, he's putting in the time, and that player development and mechanics are are starting to come to fruition for him. The Bills had two things when they drafted Josh Allen. They had an offensive line, and they had a defense. It's that easy, guys. <laughs> it's that easy, all right? If you're the Jets right now, and you're getting ready to draft Trevor Lawrence, <laughs> I'm not going to say this yet, but I probably will when they win the first run, number one pick. I, if I'm Trevor Lawrence agent, there's not a chance in H-E double hockey sticks that I'm letting him go there because that team from left to right is not ready to play football. They're not. They are running a 37 year old running back out there. They're running. I, it's just it's all over the place. They traded their best defensive player. I don't know what they're going to do with Quentin. Williams. Uh, Quentin Williams. He might want out. They might have no defensive line. They certainly don't have an, an offensive line. It matters. It matters. Preparation, it it team does. building preparation before you have a quarterback matters. Now, they could draft him and play Sam Darnold next year <laughs> and use it as a year to acquire other players and, and do things like that. But it matters. And, and it's something that the Bills aren't getting enough credit for. And Brandon Bean specifically, the three-year plan that he had to prepare for the quarterback, to draft the right quarterback, and then to build and, and drop in free agent pieces via free agency, via obviously the trade with Stefan Diggs and a couple of free agent moves this past season for the, for the defense, defensive line specifically. Uh, there is a plan. There is a process. There is a pecking order for how this stuff has to go. And it's, it's as easy as step one is don't start a rookie quarterback if you don't have a left tackle. <laughs> Let's, let's just simplify it down to that. So kudos to the bills. I hope a lot of other teams kind of follow this plan and I'm going to give them credit where due Dallas Dallas did this. Okay. That one of the reasons that Dak Prescott was as successful as he was be coming from where he was drafted to where we are right now, where he's next in line for that 35 million plus per year is because Dallas drafted and invested in an, in a, an offensive line all across the board. It's obviously had its struggles with injuries and things like that, but it shouldn't be overlooked that Dallas did it right. They, they, they signed the defensive edge rusher. They signed the, the safety. They signed the left tackle, the center. They did it all. I mean, that's where you want to spend your money. We can talk a little bit later about Zeke Elliott. We're going to get there. Don't worry. But, but that's the recipe, and that's how I want to finish this show as we kind of watch Dwayne Haskins and – Jalen Hurts and, and and whoever else is out there right now kind of competing for next man up role as a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, you know, is this team ready for a quarterback? We've said it so many times, and I know that it's impossible to think about the Jets having the number one pick and not taking Trevor Lawrence. I know it's impossible, but I'm telling you right now, they should trade that damn pick if they get it <laughs> because he's not going to go there. He's not going to go there. If his agent and him specifically, which I think I've heard enough to understand him, if they can, can read the tea leaves like you and I can do here, that team is not going to succeed 
even with him at quarterback. They are just there's just too many pieces to fill in a small amount of time, and there's not enough players available to do it. So, I I'm begging <laughs> the you know the, this next draft iteration to be to get smarter because free agency's gotten smarter, cap management's gotten smarter. Like there's so many things that have taken a step forward in the NFL specifically, but teams like the Browns for 15 years that just said, if we just draft this guy alone, we'll be better. Guess what? It didn't work. You had to sign the right tackle. You had to sign the safety. You had to draft the left. You have to do those things. I know they're not, I know they're boring. I know, I know drafting a left tackle with a number four pick is the worst thing to post on Twitter, but it's the best thing for your team. (laughs) It is. Yeah. So that's my uh, my holiday rant <laughs> to finish this show. <laughs> well, I, let me let me add to that too. You're right. If the Jets want and trade that pick, they're going to get a slew of firsts yep. and some seconds for it. Hey, work for Tennessee, and, man. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of it, we've talked about over the last month of the number of veteran quarterbacks that could be on the move, that could be traded for, that could be signed, that could go into that Jets offense yep. if they if the Jets trade back and took, you know, I would not shame them one bit if they took Scott, you've got two or three You've got two years of Sam Darnold left. How about just give Matt him a too. just give him a left tackle and a wide receiver? How about that? Yeah. How about that? That too. How about, how but, about just see what you got with the kid with the real team? But, but they have right now they have like eighty two million dollars in cap space yeah. for next season. They can do whatever they want outside of what Jacksonville has with eighty five million. But the Jets could do anything they want. They could trade back and and prolong. Like you said, the other great example outside of Dallas is the Chiefs. We've talked about yeah. it. With Mahomes stepping in with Alex Smith and all the stuff that they had already. They lined were a, up. they were a playoff yeah. team. And they decided that this process, is going to be our guy. Yes, you're right. That process, that process works, and more teams need to realize it. And if anyone needs to realize it, it's the Jets because look at what happened with the Bengals. They took Burrow, and Burrow is now out for at least a year. And you know they got to play whoever is starting right now. now I don't. I don't want to crush them too much because that left. They did draft the left tackle, but he's just been injured back to back years. So they they tried to do it the right way. But but but, but you're right. They clearly weren't ready. Yeah, the whole team as a whole. Yeah. You know, it, you got to have all the pieces. You can't just have the one that's going to be solid. And then, you know, the other side, um, I can't remember what side he got hit from or if he was scrambling or whatever that caused that issue. But with that being said, you need to make sure you have all your ducks in a row before you go and do. Um, Let me give you some quick math to finish the show off. Scott. You know what? Owen 16 means means you're not ready for a quarterback. <laughs> it means you yeah, have a dozen holes to fill. Wrong. Yeah, you, you, got a do, you got a dozen holes to fill. So don't draft the quarterback. Make the trade. If anything, I, you know what's better than... You know what's at second best to drafting a generational quarterback? Getting all the draft picks you're going to get by trading the pick for him. I, I mean, the, the haul is going to be gigantic. Look back at what the, the Tennessee got for the Jared Goff, Carson Wentz draft. Those two, those two trades were gigantic. Imagine what it could be for Trevor Lawrence. That's what the Jets have to do. They have to do it. There will be another guy. There will be another guy ready 
in four years when you're or in two and a half, three years when you're ready for that quarterback. But it's not now. Yeah. And yeah, I understand that skipping him is going to make that fan base erupt and burn things. <laughs> but the right business move is to trade that pick. Well, and you're right, because look at Joe Burrow. He was com- off everyone's radar at the beginning of last season. And then all of a sudden they bam, come out of nowhere. There's Joe Burrow yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. And you're right. Th- there could be a kid that comes out of nowhere. By the way, while we're sitting here, Ryan Tannehill is having like a freaking Hall of Fame day. Ryan Tannehill, who was outcast from a a Miami team who wasn't ready to draft him, right? They destroyed him in three years. He goes to Tennessee as a backup and just blows up. I mean, he's having a monster day right here while we're talking, Scott. He couldn't be a better example of this. This could be Sam Darnold in two years. Seriously, this could be Sam Darnold. But Sam Darnold is getting the short end of every stick, and, and Trevor Lawrence will get the same. He will get the same. So trade the damn pick, Jets. Happy holidays to everybody. My thanks to The Athletic. Happy holidays. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. Check out OLBG.com. Make yourself better at betting. Get yourself into the free Pick'em Contest. $780 in prizes every month for Scott Allen. My name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.